It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. I'm really getting tired of all these lists. Don't you feel like you're drowning in these year-end lists? You know, uh, the top 10 movies of 2022, the top 10 horror movies of 2022, the top 10 horror movies featuring a werewolf. I don't know. Uh, you know, look, I I know that I've done them in the past. They're filler. They're a way to uh, deal with that sort of slow news period between Christmas and New Year's, although it's not as slow as it might usually be, given the craziness of all the stories that we have all been talking about. But I guess I should kind of pause for a moment of gravitas, since this is the last media buzz meter of 2022. And what that says to me is, you know, thank you, all of you, for making this a great success. And I'm not letting up. Uh, This Sunday is New Year's Day. I imagine uh, some of you will either be recovering from New Year's Eve or otherwise having fun on New Year's Day. But we will be on the air live on Media Buzz and hope you'll get a chance to catch up. I'm actually pretty excited about the show. Uh, I don't want to say for a holiday show, but for any show. We've got a lot of good stuff here on Twitter and on uh, George Santos and on Trump and his tax return. So I got a whole stack here. Uh, The question is, can I even get through it? Without keeping you here for three or four hours, if I get carried away, I don't know. Um, but I do have, hope you have a great weekend coming up. Now, I, I'm not going to fall into this trap, but I guess I am because I'm talking about it. You know, Kanye West is missing. Well, he's not really missing. What's happening is his former business manager, a guy by the name of Thomas St. John, can't locate him to serve him with a lawsuit, a $4.5 million lawsuit. Uh, amid rumors, the rapper is missing, according to The Sun. Okay, so it's got a little bit of the British tabloid hype. Uh, unable to find him for weeks. Um, ongoing litigation about against Ye and his company, Yeezy. Yeezy, who is how to pronounce these things anymore. Um, and look, um, I don't have to go into the whole Kanye thing again, except to say that there are lots of people who when they don't want to be served with a subpoena or a lawsuit or accept uh, what's called accepting, you know, service on a legal matter, they can make themselves pretty scarce. Um, the Daily Mail is not letting up on the GMA3 anchors, co-anchors, and maybe former co-anchors, I don't know. Uh, T.J. Holmes, Amy Roback, oh, the lead of the story is disgraced GMA anchors. Well, why are they disgraced? It hasn't been proven they've done anything wrong. The, the company while putting them on a leave, uh, has said they haven't violated any policies. Um, their version of it, and you know, we've talked about this on the podcast before, is that you know they, are, they were married to other people, but they were separated and in the process of getting divorced. And in fact, just the other day, T.J. Holmes officially filed for divorce from his wife of 12 years. They have one daughter. I mean, not that any of this makes anybody happy, but, you know, What's happening here is you have to have a story to go with the pictures. And the Daily Mail or its paparazzi uh, got pictures. The couple seemed happy as they were bundled up for a shopping trip uh, in Miami. Um, okay, great. Like, are you, you going to hound them forever? I mean, I think at the beginning, right after the holidays, we'll find out they're coming back. They're not coming back. There are new GMA3 anchors. Um, 
and then I'll deal with it. But it seems like now you're just hounding them, which I guess, you know, is, a, is an unsavory part of the business. Sad to hear of the passing of Pele at the age of 82. You know, when I was growing up, it's hard for anybody to imagine now, but because it was so long ago, <laughs> that, you know, soccer wasn't really a big thing in the U.S. You didn't have all these youth soccer leagues. I mean, the, big, the most popular sport was baseball, followed by football and then basketball, which was nothing like the worldwide popularity that it has today. But everybody knew the name Pele. I mean, I couldn't have told, I, I had never seen him play, or I'd seen clips, I guess, on TV. But, you know, for those of you who don't fully remember him, um, it's been 60 years since he first took Brazil's uh, team to the World Cup, and he led that team to three World Cup championships. That's more than anybody else has ever done. He also just had this style. He was he was funny. He was always smiling. He could do a lot of interesting things with the soccer ball. Um, and um, it's sad to hear of his passing at 82, but he had a great life. And it, he did have, I'm looking here to. Washington Post, but a kind of an infectious joy for the game. And that, in turn, made him just this global superstar, even beyond those who followed his exploits on the soccer pitch. So, um, Caddy Kay, British journalist who uh, I've known for a long time, who is now a kind of a regular or semi-regular on Morning Joe, she outed her kids today on the question of vaccines um, interesting. I'm sure there was a discussion about this, whether she could talk about it. Um, she was talking to uh, Zeke Emanuel, who uh, is one of the Emanuel brothers and, you know, an expert on COVID and infectious diseases and so forth. And Caddy Kay said, I, you know, I, I listened to you talk about how tough it is in the hospitals. In other words, there aren't enough beds available. You would think, and the fears of the new variants mixed with flu that's coming on, you would think the country would respond by saying, okay, we will make sure we are all up to date on all of our vaccines. And then she talked about her conversation with her kids. She said, I had a strange conversation with my 22-year-old and my 16-year-old last night. I said, okay, I booked you in for COVID updates. You're both back for the holidays. You're going to get your boosters. Both of them said, no, uh, we don't want to. We've had enough vaccines, and we don't think we need them. She, Caddy, said she was left shocked and appalled by the conversation. Uh, Emmanuel said he's seen that sentiment among a lot of younger people who think that they're invincible. Look, I, I understand, you know, you're young and healthy and you feel like you're a long shot. But the fact is, a lot of the people in this age group have gotten it at least once. It does help to have gotten the booster if you get it because it makes it less severe in the overwhelming majority of cases than it otherwise would be. But, you know, it's always interesting when, you know, you see people on TV and you see them popping off and they have a certain persona or brand or you maybe like them, maybe you don't like them. But, you know, a lot of them have families. And then to bring their families into it and say, look, I couldn't convince my own kids to get a booster. I, I just think is, is a human moment where wherever you are on this debate, um, that's worth noting. Okay, story number one on this final podcast of the year. George Santos, more lies coming out or possible lies or exaggerations or fibs or mistruths or untruths uh, or embellishments. Okay, New York Times uh, going through his uh, rec uh, federal spending records for his House campaign. Gave a lot of money to a company called Cleaner123, nearly $11,000 from the campaign. 
Um, the expenditures were listed as apartment rental for staff on the campaign disclosure. It gave the address of a suburban house on Long Island. But one neighbor said Santos himself had been living there for months, and two others said they had seen Santos and his husband coming and going, possible violation of the rule prohibiting the use of campaign funds for personal expenses. This is probably the least of his problems, but nevertheless, it just shows you that almost every edifice he's tried to build here has crumbled to sand. Um, There are all kinds of uh, dozens, says the Times, expenditures listed here for $199.99. And you know why? Because if you spend $200, you have to provide a receipt. And that in itself is kind of this red flag. Oh, look at all these 199.99ers. What is he trying to hide? In addition, there were travel expenses, more than 40,000 bucks for air travel. Uh, you know, that's not done for a guy who's first trying to win a house seat. You know, maybe if you're a congressional leader and you're flying around to raise money around the country, raise money for other people. So Santos's uh, lawyer, Joe Murray, puts out a statement saying, yeah, you know, some money had been spent unwisely by a firm that has since been fired. Um, the payments were legitimate expenses on behalf of staffers relocating to the district and booking hotels for them, uh, travel, lodging, meals, normal expenses of any competent campaign. And he goes on to say that the uh, any suggestion that the campaign engaged in any irresponsible spending is just ludicrous. Well, I think this guy ought to be careful because he's the Baghdad Bob of explanations right now. I mean, this is the guy who came out and issued the statement saying the New York Times story was BS. New York Times hates us. We don't like the New York Times. And, of course, it wasn't BS. A, a week later, Santos, you know, had to admit that he couldn't back up all these things about what college he went to and had he worked on Wall Street and all of this. So uh, campaign disclosures. Uh, we also have um, what Santos had told the New York Post which was that he was living in Huntington, Huntington, Long Island, at his sister's house. But the court documents show that she resides in Elmhurst, Queens. So there's just all these little discrepancies adding up to, like, where was this guy living? Was the campaign paying for his rent? Uh, One of the Times reporters called up Cleaner123, which confirmed that it's a cleaning company, but then hung up before answering why he had received rent payments from Santos. This goes on and on and on and on. But now we get to... Oh, by the way, Santos spent $30,000 on hotels, $40,000 on airfare, $14,000 on car service. Um, It's interesting. Turns out this story, pieces of it were broken and could have been broken in a much bigger way if bigger media organizations had been paying attention. Washington Post has a nice piece about a newspaper called the North Shore Leader. The North Shore of Long Island is probably the most affluent place, at least till you get further east uh, out to Southampton and East Hampton, uh, the North Shore is where a lot of pretty well-heeled people live. And the North Shore leader wrote about, this is back in September, Santos's inexplicable rise in net worth from nothing in 2020 to as much as $11 million two years later. Interestingly, said a story in the paper written by its managing editor, uh, Santos shows no U.S. real property on his financial disclosure although he's repeatedly claimed to own a mansion in Oyster Bay Cove on Tiffany Road and a mansion in the Hamptons on Dune Road. Uh, That's quite a road. Trust me on this. Not that I've ever had any property there. 
for a man of such alleged wealth, campaign records show that Santos and his husband live in a rented apartment in an attached row house in Queens. So the leader, which is kind of a Republican paper, endorsed Santos's Democratic opponent. Uh, said, well, we'd like to endorse a Republican, but Santos is, quote, so bizarre, unprincipled, and sketchy that we cannot. He boasts like an insecure child, but he's more, most likely just a fabulous, a fake. Now, all that somebody needs to do is to read that story and go to their newsroom and say, hey, we ought to look into this. Didn't happen. Um, you know, there was a time when there was kind of a pipeline you know, 60 Minutes was famous for this. I mean, they would sometimes give credit to, or even have the reporter on. They fire, some, they find some expose before you know everybody could find anything in two seconds on their phone. You know, dug up by some paper in Las Vegas or Phoenix or Indianapolis, whatever. And then they would break it as a national story, and and they would say, you know, we talked to so and so, and the paper would get a little bit of national publicity. So here's a guy named Lally, who I guess uh, is the owner or is a part owner of the paper, and he says. We expected it to pop a lot more than it did. He said that he would have thought that Santos's Democratic opponent would have made more of the leader's endorsement and pushed the contradictions the newspapers uncovered. What was with this campaign? You take a story, you say, look, I don't know if this is true or not, New York Times, Newsday, um, anybody, CNN, Fox, but look at this. This guy's net worth went up and there are all these discrepancies and so forth. Um, so Zimmerman, Robert Zimmerman, the Democratic opponent, said, yeah, there were many red flags brought to the attention of many folks in the media, but frankly, a lot of folks in the media are saying they didn't have the personnel, time, or money to delve further into the story. This experience has shown me just how important it is for everyone to support local media. Yeah, you know, that's the thing. These newsrooms, uh, especially on the much smaller level, have been hollowed out. And so they can't even spare a reporter to spend a week sniffing around this because they've got to cover, you know, the, the zoning board and the school board and the uh, the mayor's race and the city councilman's bill and all of that. So what happens to Santos now? Um, well, uh, House Republican leaders are unlikely to do much of anything. They've only got a four-seat majority. And, you know, there's a history here about what it takes to be booted out of Congress or not seated in the first place. And let's just say it is exceedingly rare. So I'm looking at this story that says, Article 1, Section 5 of the Constitution. Each House may determine the rules of its proceedings, punish its members for disorderly behavior, and with the concurrence of two-thirds, expel a member. Well, as I mentioned the other day, I mean, it's not going to be expelled because nobody's going to get the two-thirds majority needed. However, there are other things that can be done. Uh, such as um, the last guy, I think, to be actually expelled from the House, 2002, James Trafficant, Ohio Democrat. But that was after he was convicted in a criminal case of uh, corruption charges. Uh, There are other things that they could do, uh, including a censure, which kind of is purely symbolic, doesn't mean anything, but it shows, well, we don't really like this behavior. There have been reports that Santos is saying he won't run again in two years. Well, who's going to be able to force him to hold to that. So it's it's a great detective story. It's also a pretty troubling media story now that we know that there were threads here. And it's a story about how, how the opposition campaign just totally botched it. I mean, you call a news conference and you say, you hold up the headline and you say, my opponent hasn't answered these questions. Like, what were they doing? Were they just asleep at the switch? 
Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. All right, story number two. Donald Trump's tax returns released to the public today. And I, I was reading one story that said um, this is a huge setback for Trump to have it released. Well, Democrats on House Ways and Means using the last of the power they have because they are no longer in charge as of next Wednesday um, are putting out the tax returns. And the reason I know there's no bombshell here is that a lot of news reports were just about the fact that the returns were released without getting into what's in them, then that may change as people look throughout the day. But we knew the top line, which is that, you know, there were a lot of years when Donald Trump, both as a businessman before the White House, while in the White House and afterwards, uh, or at least through 2020 is what we have, um, paid little taxes, but that may have been perfectly legal using these deductions. So what you get here is down in the weeds. As somebody who, you know, has been a reporter over the years and had to go into questions about tax breaks and um, incentives and what's legal and what's not legal, um, it can get pretty eye-glazing. So, for example, the first piece out of the gate by The Times has to do with a study done by the nonpartisan Joint Committee on Taxation. And they raised red flags, this committee did, about... For example, transactions with his adult children, a deduction he took related to the settlement of fraud charges against Trump University, now defunct. Uh, All this highlighted how the IRS was just completely outgunned. I mean, Trump had lawyers, accountants, tax professionals, and for a long time, the IRS had one guy. Um, With over 400 flow-through returns reported on Form 1040, it is not possible to obtain the resources available to examine all potential issues, IRS agents said in an internal memo that had already come out. Um, and now you get the Republicans warning that, hey, we can play this game too. So according to this piece in the Times, in a closed-door hearing last week, some Republicans said, you want to go ahead and do this? Be my guest. But we can release the tax returns once we obtain them, once we have a majority in the House, related to President Biden's family. Maybe Hunter Biden. It might even be legitimate, although there is an ongoing criminal case that I personally think has got to either be resolved or not resolved. Either he's charged or he's not charged. But tax evasion and the repayment of $2 million, and we're still not 100% sure where that money came from, is a legitimate issue in the Hunter Biden case. So is this the new low standard? You know, if we don't like your guy or somebody who's related to your guy as president, and certainly over the years, I've going back to Billy Carter, uh, I've had to cover, you know, wayward presidential relatives. Um, and it's just uh, without taking a stand on whether this should have happened or not, I don't I could see putting out the top line issues. I don't see what's gained by putting out all this stuff. So just to give you an idea of how dull this can be, and I'm not going to try to make it dull, but there was an IRS agent who looked into a $21 million deduction that Donald Trump had claimed for a conservation easement at his Silver Springs estate in New York. Um, 
And the, the Washington Post had obtained records back in 2020 saying, well, the easement, you know, it's something that's things you, you set aside land for conservation, you get a tax break. There's lots of things that, you know, good behavior that the country tries to encourage by saying, okay, you can write it off. Uh, but it seems to have relied, according to the Post documents, on unsupported assertions and misleading conclusions. I don't think that that was ever resolved. Uh, we also have the old post office building in downtown Washington, which was the Trump Hotel. Um, gorgeous structure with a clock tower that uh, in, in low-rise Washington is, is kind of, in certain angles, is kind of dominates the skyline. Trump did have a deal with the GSA to turn it into a luxury hotel. Um, IRS did not request tax returns for the property, so they didn't consider it. And now it's since been turned, or it's in the process of being turned into a Waldorf Astoria because Trump got out and sold it. Um, IRS also began audits for tax years 2017, 18, and 19. Um, they, they met to discuss such things as loans to family members, consulting payments to family members, expenditures for fuel, meals, haircuts, makeup artists, etc. that Trump wrote off his business expenses on his 2017 return. Maybe that's legitimate. Maybe it's not. But that's my point is, you, you know, it takes it's just a slog to go through all this and then get into these, you know, these tax codes are complicated. They're complicated for a reason. They're, they make it uh, it's a good employment opportunity for people who do this for a living. And the rest of us just throw up our hands. Right. OK. Meanwhile, as long as we're talking about the Donald. Um, Trump put this out, you know, the equivalent of a retweet on his Truth Social article called The Coming Split in the GOP. And many of the pundits who, you know, look to see what he's doing, I mean, I've got, my, I've got his true social on my phone. Um, it quotes a guy named Dan Galertner, who wrote this article, say, do I think Trump can win as a third-party candidate? No. Would I vote for him as a third-party candidate? Yes. Because I'm not interested in propping up this corrupt gravy train any longer. He says to McConnell and the GOP establishment, I'm fed up and I'm out. So this is being read as, oh, you know, if Trump doesn't win the nomination, he's going to get revenge on the GOP by running as a third-party candidate, which, of course, would split the right-leaning vote. Uh, Of course it would. Trump knows that. You don't need this article to tell you that. I don't know that he would do it. Uh, He might do it. He might, you know, he does a lot of things that people say he would never do, Okay. Uh, oh, you have this other little thing where the January 6th committee has officially withdrawn its subpoena for Donald Trump to testify. Um, and Andy McCarthy has a good piece of this in National Review saying the whole thing was grandstanding. The committee never knew it was never going to get Trump's testimony, um, whether relevant or not. It was just a stunt. And, and it was also obvious that time would run out, as it now has. So, well, we're withdrawing this. We're withdrawing it because it has no effect after January 3rd. Hoping to end with a bang, the committee voted to do what the judges presided over January 6th cases would not permit charged defendants to do, subpoena Trump for testimony. At this point, it is theater. It is a step the committee could have taken months ago, but didn't because members knew it would bog them down in controversy and litigation. Um, And I agree. I mean, why? You know, because you get headlines. Because for a day or two, uh, you can turn on the television. Donald Trump has been subpoenaed. What's he going to do? Remember he, one time he said, oh, I'd like to testify. I knew that he, he wouldn't, and, and, his, and no sane lawyer would allow him to testify, given that there are uh, the Justice Department investigations that are going on. 
Let me plow through my papers here because I got a lot of other stuff that I want to share with you. Um, oh, McCarthy goes on to say that everybody knows that you don't issue a subpoena to a prime suspect. Um, you try to build a case around that suspect. But nevertheless, Trump wins this media cycle because of the foolishly issued subpoena, says McCarthy, but he says it doesn't really matter much. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. One last point here. Um, Kevin McCarthy still trying to put together some kind of deal to make him House Speaker next week. Uh, Originally, the conservative bloc that is opposing him said that, well, we want to have a mechanism where any single member, in effect like a British parliament, can call a vote of no confidence in you, and there has to be a new election for Speaker. And McCarthy's reaction was, what, are you crazy? I'm not going to you know, have that loaded pistol pointed at me. But now uh, CNN's reporting, well, maybe if five members agreed to do it. I mean, it, it's going to come to a point where either McCarthy makes a deal he doesn't want to make because he just wants to get started and figures maybe he'll do a good enough job that everyone will be happy and keep him, or that he can't get to 218. But then who can get to 218? Which leads me to this, and I'm glad I didn't uh, overlook this. According to testimony provided by Alyssa Farrah Griffin, who was Vice President Pence's top aide for most of the time there, and then she became White House Communications Director toward the end, and then quit, and now she's on The View and she's become a big Trump critic. But in any event, she told the January 6th committee that Matt Gates, the Florida congressman, uh, had showed up one day and had a folder. And in the folder, it's conspiracy theories about Joe Scarborough murdering his intern. You may vaguely remember this ugly piece of garbage. And I said, please do not bring that into the West Wing or to the Oval Office. We were literally outside the Oval Office. And just as I'm saying that, I said, you cannot put that in front of the president. He gets ushered in. And sure enough, within, by the next morning, the former president is tweeting wild conspiracy theories about a cable news host, you know, allegedly murdering his intern. So this goes back to July of 2001. This is such a sad story. 28-year-old aide to then Congressman Joe Scarborough, Lori Klausudis. She died at one of his district offices after a previously undiagnosed heart problem caused her to pass out and hit her head on a desk. The coroner found no sign of foul play. Her death was ruled to be from natural causes. She had a heart issue which caused her to fall and tragically uh, caused her death. So here it is, fast forward to May 2020, and and Trump is just, you know, going off on this, you know, because Scarborough beats him up every day. And then they were, you know, Joe and Mika were one time friends of Donald Trump, and then they had this huge falling out. Uh, That's politics, but he's saying nut job with bad ratings and calling him psycho and urging forensic geniuses to keep digging into the murder. It was an absolute awful smear. And it's just, it just makes me ill. Okay, let me run through a couple other things here. Number three, you have uh, the Russians committing even more crimes with a huge volley of uh, cruise missiles and drones, um, knocking out still more of Ukraine's power as we head into the new year. Some of these are Iranian drones that Moscow was able to obtain. Uh, the Ukrainian defense forces have been overwhelmed. The idea that this guy wanted peace talks is a joke, as I told you uh, yesterday and I've told you many times. 
story number four, the chief commercial officer of Southwest Airlines, Ryan Green, offered a personal apology to customers who had their travel disrupted by the ongoing cancellations. You know, I've talked about how Southwest had this horrible, creaky computer system that many staffers and the union have been urging to upgrade. And so when it came to a crisis like, you know, huge winter storm, holiday travel and so forth, the thing just melted down. And for days, Southwest was like, you know, this is unprecedented and we're doing our best. You know, you have to apologize. You can't wait a week. You know, I'm reading these horrible sob stories, a woman who missed her wedding because she couldn't get the flight. Somebody else who missed a chance at a life-saving treatment or transplant. I mean, people's lives were really affected. It's one thing to have delays and you get out the next day. This was unfriggin' believable. Uh, oh, by today, everybody will have the flexibility and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, finally issuing a personal apology. Our heartfelt apologies for this are just beginning. You bet they are. And this person should have been on TV every single day, not just apologizing, but describing what was being done to fix the problem. I mean, just classic PR 101 and utterly failed. All right, number five. Politico has a big piece by Bill Scher, kind of grading uh, the candidates for 2024. And the winners from 2024, in his view, are Ron DeSantis and Joe Biden. So the piece says, uh, you know, none of this will shock you, I'm sure. The piece says DeSantis accomplished uh, these feats, which is to say won a landslide re-election in Florida and became this national figure and has a national standing in the polls with Trump-esque pugnacity combined with unrivaled ruthlessness and uncompromising ideology. This does not sound like a guy who uh, is in favor of conservatives, but nevertheless, he talks about how DeSantis revoked the uh, tax benefits from the Walt Disney Company for criticizing his law about banning discussion of sexual orientation and gender identity in kindergarten through third grade, Um, used taxpayer dollars to lure Venezuelan refugees in Texas onto a plane to Martha's Vineyard, which actually I thought was a really unfair stunt to the migrants, but a lot of them were just happy to be in the U.S., and Martha's Vineyard a pretty nice place. So the politics of it worked out well. The humanitarian aspect, not so much. Um, switching to Biden, six months ago, uh, Politico says Biden was widely presumed to be a dead weight. I love that widely presumed by the media, including Politico, uh, dragging down Democrats in 2022 and beyond. In June, the New York Times reported about Democratic whispers urging Biden not to run for re-election. Wall Street Journal ran a similar article. The Atlantic, Why Biden Shouldn't Run in 2024 by Mark Leibovich. Um, And look, his poll numbers were down. He wasn't getting anything done. uh, And it did not look good for the president of the United States. But then Biden signed the flurry of bills, many of them bipartisan, you know, ranging from helping veterans to most recently the same-sex marriage law, regardless of what the Supreme Court does, to the Computer Chips Act, to um, on and on and on. The first actual modification of gun laws uh, actually got enough Republicans on board. Uh, People scoffed at Biden. You're old-fashioned, and maybe that's the way the Congress used to work, but you can't do this now. And he did. Doesn't mean he's an unalloyed success and doesn't mean that he's necessarily favored for re-election. Um, and he goes on about the, he got Brittany Griner released. Well, that's obviously a mixed uh, record given the, that we had to give up a noted uh, terrorist. 
Um, now the don't run chatter has quieted down. How about that? And um, in, he cites a couple of polls saying majority of Democrats want Biden to run for election, which was not the case before the midterms. Well, that's the other thing. I mean, the midterms, the red wave didn't happen, right? Democrats have 51 Senate seats, right? That was a vindication of Joe Biden and all of those, including at times me, who said, shouldn't be talking about democracy, should be talking about inflation and gas prices, which, by the way, are now down. Uh, Trump is the biggest loser in every way, says this piece. Um, His Senate candidates blew the GOP shot at taking control of the chamber. Most of his Secretary of State candidates lost. Um, He backed a challenger against Georgia Governor Brian Kemp, who he blames for his 2020 loss in that state. Then watched Kemp beat the guy by 52 points. Okay. Um, And then he goes into, you know, the Kanye dinner and all of that. So I don't think Trump, since Trump is the only declared candidate, I don't think I'm going out on a limb here, and neither is Bill Scherr, by saying, you know, he hasn't had a great campaign. And, you know, when I say that, so far. Even Sheriff comes around saying, look, he may still win the nomination. And you always have to have that caveat. All these people say they're going to run. I don't know if they're all going to run. If a bunch of them run, they'll split the anti-Trump vote and Trump will be the nominee. If a few of them run, maybe some of them have to drop out. Maybe there is a one-on-one with Ron DeSantis or a two-on-one. I don't know. He touches on some other names. For example, Mike Pence. He says Mike Pence, you know, put out a book and made the network rounds but he's still in the upper single digits uh, in certain polls. Unfavorable rating among Republicans, now 40%, according to a certain poll. Uh, Pence successfully developed a political brand that is distinctly his own, but he has to worry there isn't a market for what he is selling. Uh, Problem for all these candidates, just to wrap up here, who are explicitly or implicitly criticizing Trump is there are too many of them competing for a relatively small slice of the Republican electorate. To the extent they've helped soften up Trump, that has so far helped create room only for DeSantis, who few Republicans have bothered to criticize. All of that could, of course, change. Well, I guess at this point, I want to thank you for listening. I also want to thank you for listening throughout 2022. We've had an unbelievable year. I'll get the numbers next week and and share them with you, but millions of people are listening to this podcast, which doesn't get a lot of promotion. But I guess it gets word of mouth. And mouth is what we have here. We have my mouth. Uh, And it's a new thing for me. You know, uh, everything, when I write stories, I try to make every word precise. When I write television scripts, I try to use the right sound uh, so that it creates a certain pace and it's both informative and entertaining. Um, I try not to take cheap shots. I try to be fair to all sides, but I call out all sides, especially the media. When the media, you know, pretend that certain stories aren't stories, a lot, a lot of the Twitter files being a great example. So for all that, I appreciate you investing your, your time, which is your most valuable asset, uh, in listening to this podcast in 2022. We'll be back here. I think I have a few things to say on, well, New Year's Day is a Sunday. So as I mentioned, I'll see you then on Media Buzz. We'll put some of the segments online. And the next day, we'll have the 2023 debut edition of the podcast. See you then with more Media Buzz Meter. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts and via Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music. 
the Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.